Hi everybody, this is Ray Otis and you're listening to Plundergrounds. Today's show is really part two of an ongoing discussion about military science fiction and a scenario idea that I had for Gary Khan 11. You may want to go back to episode six and listen to that first, though it's probably not imperative that you have that context to enjoy this one. Also, this is one of those shows that's driven by call-ins. And first up, we have Larry Hamilton of the Follow Me and Die podcast. Hey, Ray, this is Larry with Follow Me and Die. Just got done with your episode about military campaigns. Uh, glad that you mentioned Starship Troopers. I think, if I recall, it's been a long time since I've read that, that uh, Heinlein uh, explained why his future world was that way. Uh, like I said, it's been a long time. Uh, another story related to that that's actually a series of stories is called Berserker by Fred Saberhagen, and it's about uh, self-constructing war machines. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was the uh, influence for the board game Ogre by Steve Jackson Games. I've got that pocket game from back in the day. Uh, don't know if I got all the parts. Hey, Ray, this is Larry again. Uh, minutes not enough. Um, I don't remember the exact timeline of the Ogre board game and the Brett Saberhagen story Berserker. Uh, there may have actually been a short story as well. It's been a long time since I've read Berserker, and so I thought that the name of this short story was Ogre that I was thinking of, but it's the I knew it was Fred Saberhagen, so when I got home uh, from listening to your podcast, I Googled it and uh, turned out it was Berserker. And it's got several books in the series. I don't remember reading more than either a short story or the first book. Uh, that Ogre game, I don't know if you've ever played that, the mini pocket game, uh, you basically have a big tank that you're throwing everything you can at trying to stop it. So anyway, I hope it has a good end result on your campaign. You can't imagine how excited I was to get this call in, Larry. Uh, but you're going to find out soon because I'm going to devote a whole podcast to the year 1977, which was the year that Ogre came out, among other things. That year was, in many ways, the year that made me a tabletop gamer nerd. But here's a few bits uh, related to your call that I can share early. First of all, yes, thank you so much for bringing up Saberhagen. That's another great addition to the list. I do think, however, that you're getting Saberhagen and Lommer confused. Uh, the short story that I think you're referring to is Lommer's Field Test from 1976. I read that short story while standing in the back aisle of the Winchester Public Library when I was like eight years old. It features a self-aware tank, and it kind of blew my mind. Uh, it's uh, not his first Bolo story. I think his first Bolo story was written in the early 60s, like maybe around 1961. Uh, and that story talked about Bolos with series numbers and Roman numerals, uh, which kind of marks it as an absolute inspiration for Ogre, which came out in 1977. I played the hell out of that game, often solo. And if you're curious, the answer to the original pocket game, in my opinion, is to spend all your defensive points on howitzers and target the ogre's treads. 
unless your dice rolls are horrible, you can always incapacitate it before it gets within range of your command center, no matter how cagey or aggressive the tank is. Um, I played that a lot of hours, and uh, I can just tell you that that was a solution that worked for me. So thanks for the call, Larry. Keep up the good work on your Follow Me and Die podcast, and I hope your efforts to draw every day for Inktober are going well. Uh, The next voice you hear will be J.J. Lanza. Hey, Ray. This is J.J., dutifully doing my homework from your last podcast. I think you should go with 316. I think it's lightweight enough and procedural so that you can focus on the core elements of the game while still being free to do all the story elements that you want. Uh, The flashback episodes give you a way to bring in um, any of the uh, uh, things that you were talking about in your podcast about what things were like back on Earth or wherever their characters are from and give you a lot of freedom in really exploring those themes. Thanks again for another great podcast. Looking forward to the next episode. JJ, it really is a good call in 316. Um, It's actually built for some of the things that I want to get at, but I guess I'm not sure I'm sold on how the combat works in that game. Uh, For those of you who don't know, it's built on top of a small range map, and you move in and out of range bands relative to the enemy. It feels a little bit board gamey, and while I'm sure I could dress it up with the fiction, I find it just a little distracting or limiting or something, I'm not sure what. But maybe I could figure that out by theming the range map somehow. I'm going to think about it. Thanks for the call in. By the way, I've only played 316 twice. Once it was run by you, JJ, when we met at Gen Con, I think the second time. That was back when you lived in the Midwest and I was here in San Diego. Now you're part of my local gaming group. Hallelujah! Uh, The other time the game was run for me was by Vincent Baker, of all people, so I have fond memories of 316. In fact, I wasn't going to do this, but let me name drop a little. The table was myself, Vincent Baker, Meg Baker, Rob Bull, Emily Kerboss, and Julie Ellingbow. At the time, I think everybody at the table had written a game except me, so it was just a little intimidating. But Vincent ran a good scenario about an embedded journalist, so we had to drag along a non-combatant with us, and he was reporting on everything we did. Anyway, I appreciate your thoughts. I know you've run 316 quite a bit, and that counts a lot for me when you say it would be a good choice for the idea I have in mind. Moving on, we have Logan Howard on the line. Hey, Ray. Really enjoyed that podcast about military fiction. I was just wondering if you'd thought much about taking war style role-playing games, things like Carry or Patrol, maybe even Grey Ranks or Night Witches, things like that, and adapting them to the science fiction setting. Also, I was thinking it'd be really cool to do something like take all those super tropey roles that are in war movies, such as the commander who's out of his depth and the guy who's maybe enjoying it too much or the one who's flipping out all the time and kind of using those as part of the character creation process. Have a good one. Thanks, Logan. I don't know why I didn't think of just using a war-themed RPG that isn't necessarily science fiction and adapting it. That's, yeah, that's a good idea. My brain's kind of exploding right now. Um, I have Nathan Paletta's Carrie in print somewhere on my shelf, but I've never played it. I also thought about doing it with Microscope in combination with um, Edge of Space, which I mentioned last week. 
I'm basically spoiled for choice when it comes to system. And yes, absolutely, I want to hit some of the major war movie tropes. So thanks for your call, and by the way, Logan, I'm eagerly awaiting the next issue of Swordbreaker, and a little birdie told me that you might jump into the podcasting world as well. To that, I say, bring it on. Next up, we have a message or two from Colin Green. Okay, hello, Ray, it's Colin, Spike Pit. But really enjoyed your last episode. This is going to take longer than 60 seconds, so this is part one. Um, I've been playing Stay Frosty, as I'm sure you're aware. I didn't fully engage with the rule set, so I've got another session probably slated for next week. Uh, well, it's not really slated, but uh, we've, we've got the chance next week to do another one-shot, so I think I'm going to do that. I like this idea of platoons, so... Perhaps I'm going to go with like each player having four characters. So we'll have between sort of 20, 26 and 30 Marines. And uh, yeah, they'll probably go on a bug hunt or something. I'm going to randomly generate uh, a mission and do like a point crawl, crawl as recommended in the Stay Frosty rules. Hang on for part two. I think the, um, the advantage of the platoon rules is it may iron out a little problem I noticed with Chain of Command, where you've got players with different ranks kind of telling other players what to do, which in real life is obviously just how it goes. But in a role-playing game, that's not so fun. So that's something that I want to try and address. Um, Also, this squad combat and stuff like that gets to dealing with an issue I've had with sort of uh, one GM, one player situations and and I've kind of been mulling over and and knocking about ideas of squad combat and and sort of um, this idea of one player controlling more characters. Uh, It gives you a few more options when you've got smaller groups. So I say, in for a penny, in for a pound. If you've left two messages, you might as well leave three. So in summary, I think it's a very interesting idea. One that I'm pursuing a similar path on. But uh, I think inevitably you will do a better job than me, Ray. So keep us posted. I look forward to further de- hearing about further developments. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's potentially great fun and yeah, I would definitely pursue it in answer to your question. And, um, yeah, lucky old GaryCon, folks. That was smooth, buddy, and a little dangerous. Now everyone's going to try to sneak in a threefer. <laughs> Actually, um, it was great. I'm not trying to warn anyone off that. Uh, sometimes 60 seconds just isn't enough. And I think you hit the nail on the head as far as why I'm going with the platoon structure. For one thing, I want to keep everything on a personal level. So it's war, but from the viewpoint of the characters who are essentially grunts. They don't necessarily have a window into the bigger picture. And yes, command structure can be problematic in RPG, so letting the players basically run subordinates as henchmen and then promoting those subordinates when their commander dies seems like a great way to go. If your original character goes down, all of a sudden you have to jump into the character of someone in your unit who was next in the chain of command. 
Also, along the lines of this thing about being under the command of others, even higher up the chain, if I were using a Powered by the Apocalypse system, I might use failures as a way to bring in uh, the commander, bring in your commander yelling at you for doing the wrong thing or giving you an order that seems like complete stupidity or even a suicide run. So porting over that bit of tech um, that the GM gets to make the character's lives worse on a failure, I'll probably do that with whatever system I end up using. As long as you're doing your job as the character and more or less succeeding, the commander is going to stay off your back. Um, if you go even a little rogue or if you start uh, failing, you may get switched to a private channel and have your ass chewed out. <laughs> you mentioned point-to-point -point missions, and I do think that that's the way to go, for sure, with Stay Frosty. In a normal game of Stay Frosty, I would think in terms of a chain of potential scenes with a little free play um, to air out some of the character personalities in between. In the game I'm talking about, instead, imagine all of those points being related by the overall war. So each point in that point-to-point -point scenario would be a planet drop, and the connecting uh, framework would be probably the ship that's carrying the Marines in question. So let's think about what a planet drop would look like. Uh, I wouldn't go from your capsule being ejected from the ship all the way to the recall beacon, though I might do that on the third and final drop. Instead, I think I'm going to throw the characters into some part of the mission where things are going pear-shaped. A particular scene, um, it might be a boarding action where the unit is trying to establish a beachhead on an enemy ship. Uh, it might be holding a section of wall that bugs are trying to overrun. It might be getting aid to another unit pinned down in some tunnels. Um, it could be, well, you get the idea. It would just be one scene at a time, uh, not a whole scenario on each drop. And the characters would only be taking care of their part of the platoon's overall mission. I might even do a lot of smash cuts and divide the units up into different scenes that are all happening simultaneously. So there's a lot to think about in terms of pacing um, and scene structure. And maybe the whole thing's crazy, I don't know. I try not to think about how ideas might not work and instead think about how I'm going to make them work. I just try to believe that I can do whatever I can dream up, and it usually works out for me. Speaking of which, uh, we do have one more call. This is Angus. Hey, Ray. How you doing, man? Hey, congratulations on the launch of Plundergrounds. Absolutely love it, particularly the military sci-fi episode. Outstanding as a vet. You're on point. Hey, dude, based on the triumph of the launch of Kirby's Kids, I am now tormented in the fact that we have not been able to connect down to the studio to discuss Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment. Can't wait to do that one. Looking forward to it. And by the way, don't forget, folks, remember, Kirby'sKids.com. Thanks for the reminder, buddy. I definitely would have forgotten. As Colin says, in for a penny, in for a pound. My buddy Angus and I are getting together as a couple of fans to talk graphic novels in a new podcast called Kirby's Kids. I've not been very consistent about reading comics in my five decades on Earth, though there have been times when I got into them uh, pretty seriously. I, I guess I'm more of a book reader, generally, but I was talking with Angus, who is more learned in that area than I am, and asked him to choose some classics that we could read together on a monthly basis so I could uh, get a look into the things I'd missed. That led to an online discussion group, which kind of ballooned into this whole podcast idea. I'm pretty happy with our first episode. 
We're talking about the first volume of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. So if you're interested in graphic novels or if you want an excuse to become more literate um, in some classic comics, have a listen. We're recording it as fans for fans, so you don't have to be a comic expert uh, to enjoy it. You can find the podcast Kirby's Kids here on Anchor, and soon we hope it will show up in all the other traditional places as well. For now, I'm Ray Otis signing off. You've been listening to the Plundergrounds podcast. I'm always happy when listeners leave me a 60-second voicemail through the Anchor mobile application. If you have something to say and don't want to put Anchor on your phone, you can just send an audio file to rayotis at gmail.com. You can find my Patreon and subscribe to the Plunderground zine containing adventures written for Dungeon World at plundergrounds.com. I post other gaming content, including my free micro RPGs at jellysaw.com. And if you just want to talk, you can find me on Google+. For a little bit longer, anyway. But I'm actually more tuned into MeWe these days now that Google+, Plus has announced it's shutting down in 10 months. Um, I know, I know, the name MeWe is really stupid. But the site is good, and so far it's been a, a pretty good replacement for Google+. And come to think of it, um, I think you can leave me an audio message there as well. The opening and closing music is You Can Use Me by Captive Portal. Until next time, look out for rust monsters. <laughs>